Hey, happy Friday, y'all. I am Cassandra Cousino, your girl, the Sports Nisa, here with Ralph Velez, but you know him as Ramblin' Ralph Mayweather Promotions in Ring Announcer. What's up? What's going on? Wait, I'm pointing to my name right there. That should be should be right there. I'm oh, good. Yeah. I'm excited. I thought you was like... <laughs> I'm excited. I thought for this you was show. like you on mute. <laughs> uh, yeah. no, I was trying to figure out where my name was. That's me right there. What's going on, girlfriend? You good? That's my name. Good. <laughs> you know what? It's the second Friday in August, man. We are cruising towards fall already. Ain't that crazy? Yes, we are. And we had some good fights last week. Um uh trying to stay safe in Arizona. Pandemic still. <laughs> Running ragged out here, and uh, you gotta stay safe out there in Vegas as well. I know you're staying. Dude, inside. I've been in the house for like I don't know ten days now straight. <laughs> so uh, we getting out tomorrow. We're gonna go to the mountains. Uh, my kids nice. are about to like eat things that are not food. They're sick of being in the house. So getting no out. Problem. But speaking of getting, let's get to it. We have two very special guests today. One is the new WBO champion at 122 pounds, Angelo Leo. Uh, joining us in the second half, uh, or the second part of this hour, is going to be Emmy Award-winning sports and that analyst and host Brian Custer. So we're going to do something a little special for Angelo, though. He just got his strap. So let's go ahead and bring him out. Ladies and gentlemen presenting to Vegas Sports Daily and Levels Podcast, the new WBO Junior Featherweight Champion of the World, El Chinito, Angelo Leo. There he is. Yeah, yeah look at that strap. Yes, yes. It's shiny. Man, look at that. Fantastic, dude. Um, yes, it, it, CZ and I were texting all through the fight, just like I was with so many other people, because that fight had like chapters to it. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'll just start off real quick by saying congratulations. Uh, I know you more than most. I told people that didn't really know of you that they better pay attention to what's going on because you are a throwback fighter to the olden days where body first, Head will fall later, and uh, you did such a fantastic job. I'm very, very proud of you. But uh, first things first, man, um, I was texting back with Cece, and we were just, you know, like everybody else. Uh, I knew what your game plan was because this is the way you have kind of uh, molded the way you attack fights to see what's going on first. And people were freaking out. The first three Ooh. rounds, like, dude, what is Angelo doing? What, what's going on? He's not ready. Uh, he's not going to be able to handle the speed. And I would just tell everybody, slow down. Wait, because I've got to see you fight so many occasions, uh, and this is your MO, right? So, like, first of all, again, congratulations, but how do you feel, man? Unbelievable. Like, uh, you, you woke up the next day, and you had that beautiful belt around your waist, man. Yeah. Oh, you know, it feels great. You know, this is something I worked my whole life for. Uh, this is a goal I've had ever since I was, you know, a 10-year-old kid. And to have this over my shoulder right now, is, it means the world right now. And um, it's it's definitely sunken in now that I'm I'm WBO world champion, and uh, it's first of many, first of many for sure. You know, uh, this is not the only one I want. I want I want them all. You know, and I want to win them in multiple divisions. So this is just the beginning for me, really. So let's take folks to how this fight actually happened. You were originally scheduled to fight Stephen Fulton um, out of Philadelphia. Stephen had tested uh, positive for COVID-19. How many days prior to your fight? 
I think it was uh, three or four days. So yeah. take me to the moment that you got the call. Who who let you know that the fight could possibly be off? And what were your initial thoughts? So basically, I think it was a Tuesday morning um, after breakfast. They had told me that uh, Stephen Fulton had got uh, COVID, but they were looking for a replacement. And um, at that time, you know, I felt a little, uh, I was a little in shock, you know, because I didn't think um, prior to the, prior to the fight, prior to the, to that week, you know, we have been getting tested and obviously he was getting tested negative. And so I thought the fight was for, oh, for sure thing. Next thing you know, he's not fighting and um, I'm a little disappointed, but um, you know, I got back on track and uh, I figured, you know, I came here to win a world title, you know, no matter who it be. And uh, that was just my main goal is to focus on that title. Doesn't matter who it was, I was ready for them. So Ralvin mentioned that you, you're really what won the fight for you was the amount of body work that you did. Um, it was incredible. Uh, you're known to punch in bunches. People say that all the time. It's kind of a cliche, um, but your power was evident as well in those body shots. So was that the initial game plan or did you have to switch modes right then once you got your new opponent? Uh, definitely, definitely. You know, I'm known for a, for a, a body puncher. I like, to, I like to attack the body early. And like they say, if you attack the body, the head will fall. So with that being said, um, I take that in every fight. Um, I'm, pre I'm pretty sure, you know, my opponent's not, I, I attack the body, but I have to switch it up, uh, hit the head, you know, switch up my combinations. So they never figure out uh, when I'm going to get the body. Um, for the most part, you know, it was just adapting. Uh, he was a, a straight southpaw. So of course, in the first mm -hmm. few rounds, he gave me a little bit of trouble, but after I uh, I figured out his timing, I was able to adapt and, and get the victory. Now, I want to talk to you again about my opening statement. I want to elaborate on that more. You and I uh, had a chance to speak before we went on, and one thing that was kind of amazing for you was for us is that even with the, with the top rank cars, we get to hear so many things that we normally wouldn't be able to hear, but you do as well. So can you let your fans know and let the people that are watching know what things were different as far as like you're used to fighting in front of people in Vegas that know you already. Um, how was it, man, to be in there fighting and not really hearing a crowd? I mean, you land a good combination and nobody gets to cheer. Um, what were the things that kind of threw you off or kind of were so weird to you throughout the fight, whether it be during in between rounds, whether it be during the fight? What were things that you were like, oh, damn, that's kind of crazy that I've never heard that before now that I'm fighting in this sphere? Uh, mainly, it had to be um, uh, the commentators. You could definitely hear what the commentators were saying. Everything they said, you could hear them. Um, what uh, you could just basically hear everything. You know, you could hear the, the commentators. You could hear the trainers. What my trainer was saying. What his trainer was saying. So it was basically like a sparring match in a way. Um, as far as the crowd, you know. Um, if you got that killer instinct, you got it. You know, you know when a, you know when a fighter's hurt, and um, that's what I was looking for. You know, to see if he was hurt, and I had him hurt a few times to the body. That's why I kept attacking the body. What did you hear from across the ring, uh, from his side or from a commentator that you considered during the fight? Uh, I could hear uh, Mauro Ronaldo saying, uh, "You know, there's a minute left." Um, I could, I could hear him saying that the body shots are are um, are doing an effect on him, things like that. 
One, one thing I do want to uh, touch on that is really fascinating to me is that most trainers in this sport, you know, they try to have the Teddy Atlas effect where they want to get in your face and, and come on, you're, you know, your father is completely different, man. Your father all throughout the fight was just like, he talks to you in the ring. Like he talks to all of us outside the ring. You're, for those of you that have never met your father, he's real chill, real lax. He doesn't get, I have never even heard him raise his voice ever. And inside, all he was basically telling you was, hey, we came, we came to do our job. You know, let me see it, let me see it. But it was a, such a calm, chill voice that it basically was just like you guys having a regular conversation. Now tell me how that, how that relationship works in there where he doesn't really have to get on you. Maybe it's just because you listen more than most. Right. Right. Well, me and my dad, you know, we were, we're basically on the same page. You know, I know what he wants from me. Um, I know how to react to what he says. Uh, and um, basically just, um, I know who, I know, I know him already. I know how he is. I, I understand his tone of voice, um, and I'm real comfortable around him. You know, he's uh, he knows the game plan like no other. We studied uh, this fighter, even though we didn't have much time to study him. You know, we basically on the same page at all times. Now, we know that you've trained with Floyd Mayweather at your mm -hmm. Mayweather Promotions fighter. Have you talked to him since the, the after the fight, and what did he say to you? Yeah, I talked to him actually a few times already. I seen him at the gym yesterday. Um, and I seen him uh, on Sunday, right after my fight, at the roller rink because he likes to he likes to skate. So I seen him at the roller rink, and he was, he was just very happy for me. He was very happy for me. He he really liked the body shots that I and the the way I was able to break them down. Um, other than that, you know, he just told me that you know there's big things. Uh, stay on your A game, stay on your P's and Q's, and that's about it. So has it sunk in yet? I see that you have the belt. Where are you? Where are you keeping it? And has it sunk in yet that you are now the champion? That you've reached one of your goals? Yeah, it's definitely sunk in right now. You know, it's uh, it's just uh, to think that I become world champion. And in all these years, I've been thinking of becoming a world champion, and finally, I I got it right here on my shoulder. It means a lot to me. You know, it, hmm. it's, it's the world to me. Um, this belt right now, I'm currently looking for a case for it, but right now it's just in the regular case that they gave me, which is a really nice case. It's super heavy. It you like, have it? Can we see it? Uh, the, actually, the computer is mounted on top of it. Oh, okay. oh see, we, we, <laughs> nice. Yeah, um, but it's just a heavy case. You know, it's a yeah. heavy case. Really nice. Like, it weighs like 50 pounds. I was lugging that all around the airport. My arms were super tired after. But yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's a really nice belt. Really uh, beautiful. It's got the diamonds and all that in, in it. Oh, okay. You got some bling in there. Now, you are the first. Uh, we're not first. You're the most recent champion to come out of uh, New Mexico. Holly Holm had done it on the women's side. But on the men's side, you're the first since Johnny Tapia did it in 94. How much of your roots do you carry into your fighting style? And what's it mean to kind of be mentioned in the conversation of Johnny Tapia in New Mexico? Oh, it's an honor. You know, it's an honor to know that I'm in the mix with Johnny Tapia, Daniel Romero, um, Bobby Foster, Holly Holmes, it's, it's Austin Trout. You can't forget all those uh, fighters, all the great fighters from New Mexico. And to be mentioned with them, it means a lot because, you know, um, I was raised in that city. You know, I met Johnny countless times. I've talked to Daniel Romero. Da actually, Daniel Romero 
uh, was texting right before the fight, you know, giving me, giving me some advice, um, telling me, you know, to, to just stay calm in there and, and do what I do best. Um, other than that, um, you know, all the fighters from all the champions and fighters from New Mexico were giving me a lot of support. So, you know, I really carry that on my back um, of Albuquerque and all their support. And I really appreciate my city for doing that. How's the social media game coming along? Did you get a lot of followers after that or a lot of people that, cause I know that we do have to get you a Twitter account though. This is how oh, humble he is. To. Well, no, this is how humble he is. And I keep telling everybody, they're like, what's his Twitter? I'm like, dude, he doesn't, he doesn't have a Twitter. I'm like, what do you mean he doesn't have a Twitter? I go, well, he's not like that, dude. He's not like me where I have to post a hundred times a day just to, to try to, yeah. you know, to keep the brand going. See, I see Angelo's like, yeah, dude, you're doing it way too much. But, yeah. but he, he doesn't really, he doesn't really, it's not like that with him. And, and do you see yourself having to, um, now that you're champion, you think that you have a responsibility now to to be out there and to make sure that your fans are aware of what's going on with you. I know that you've always been a more private person. You've never been one to brag about things or to be out there and boast about stuff. But now it's a little bit different now, um, whether you like it or not, you're now uh, another face of, as far as a champion in boxing. And now you are becoming a role model. I mean, you're a role model for us that's around you a lot. But, but do you feel now that you do have a responsibility now to your fans and to kids that if, especially from New Mexico. I mean, we talked about that, how important it was for you to go back home and change that state and change what's going on over there. Do you feel that you now have that responsibility? Definitely, definitely. You know, um, being a, becoming a champion is, uh, it's not only being a champion, it's a mindset, it's a way of living. Um, so I have to carry that on my shoulder, you know, carry that um, to conduct myself like a champion and to be a room, a role model for the children. And that's, um, that's what I aim to do. Um, basically if you, if you could think it, you can achieve it no matter what you do, you got to put your all into it and you could, you could get there. And, um, basically just, uh, you know, just knowing how to conduct yourself, you know, and knowing what to post. I know I'm not big on the Twitter, but you know, I, I try to keep my uh, fans, um, you know, uh, posted on my Instagram and my Facebook. I keep those posted every now and then. But, you know, eventually I'll get a Twitter and, and start posting. <laughs> yeah, you got to get like a cousin you trust or somebody just to do your Twitter. Yeah. If it ain't your thing, you just got to get there. <laughs> yeah, right. But you got to you got to be one that you trust. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> how long uh, how long do you plan on taking before you start getting back in the swing of things? I know that you're uh, probably going to meet with Leonard to discuss uh, your future pretty soon but normally for your fights how long do you usually take and do you think that you're going to shorten that up or keep the same routine now that you're champ i you know uh keep the same routine you know i'm gonna keep what's working has been working for me for these last 20 20 uh, fights which is you know just take a week or two off and then get back to it you know actually this morning i just did a, a four mile jog and uh i was at the gym in uh, vegas Yes, in Las Vegas. What time? <laughs> what time of day were you out? Oh no, this was in the gym. This is on a treadmill. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> doing road work. Okay, good. Yeah, no, actually, I, I did my road work at night. It's too hot. And, it's day. still a hundred degrees at nine o'clock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good for weight loss. I can't. I can't complain. Yeah. They have a problem losing weight this fight. Yeah, no kidding. So you're at 122. We know that Showtime has a slate of fights through the end of the year. Um, 
and we know that Stephen Fulton Jr. is still sitting out there calling your name. Actually, he had some comments about uh, your performance. How active do you want to be? And do you feel like you've gone from being the hunter to the hunted? Uh, yeah, you know, I want to fight as often as possible. You know, if I could fight another uh, fight by the end of the year, another one or two fights, that'd be great. And, um, you know, the mindset is still the same. You know, I'm the one. I'm never the one hunted. I'm always um, hunting. You know, I'm hunting for more world titles. I'm hunting, you know, to keep my undefeated record. So I'm never. I want to predator, never prey. I want to go back to, on on that. Now that you you mentioned that, just one more thing about the fight that we that uh, CC brought up. But I want to touch on that a little bit more. You know, you, your opponent wasn't a regular orthodox to orthodox fighter. You know, we're going from orthodox to a southpaw fighter, and the first three or four rounds. Um, I, I know that you like to, to, to plan out your attack ahead of time. You like to execute. And the middle rounds is where you normally turn up the heat and try to suffocate your opponent. But what was the thought process for you? Because it looked like, and I'm just saying this just because from my vantage point, that he was landing his jab and landing with his straight left. How were you able to just, can you just guide us through and, and what's your thought process? Like, okay, I didn't prepare for this. Uh, he's a little faster with that left than what I thought. What can I do here to kind of combat that or to kind of get out of that situation so I can answer with my body attack? Mm -hmm. well, or, you know, or what, I'm sorry, what round was it that you thought, okay, I figured this out. Now I'm going to start pushing the gas and, and, and basically suffocate. I know from the, I was real confident from the opening bell, you know, even though I may have lost those first rounds, I was still confident and still positive that I was eventually going to get him. So, you know, the confidence never lost even in those two rounds. But right around the, i say the fourth round, you know, I knew I, he had, he was slowing down, and I knew it was just a matter of time where I was just going to break him down and he was going to stop moving so much. And that's, uh, that's what happened, you know. Well, CC, the text messages, they, they stopped coming. Hey, well, after the sixth and seventh round, the text uh -huh. messages, were, they didn't come anymore. And I just replied back, I told you so, because so, this is just the MO. You know, it is what it yeah. is. Man, I was actually in the car. I had to take my son to uh, Taekwondo practice. And mm -hmm. I had, I have the app. So I was sitting there in my car watching it. And I'm like texting him. I was like, okay. After the second round, I felt like I was able to see your game plan. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, if you watched you enough, you would know that you actually are what a, more of a cerebral fighter, trying yeah. to see where your moments are. Is that how you were trained when you first entered the sport? Yeah, exactly. Um, me, I'm a student of the game, so you know I study every fighter, I study every uh, style. You know, I don't have a favorite style, so you know um, that's what I'm a. You know, just I love boxing. Ultimately, I love boxing. And that's what gives me uh, my ring IQ. You know, I have a big boxing ring IQ. Even though I'm, you know, I may fight as an aggressor. You know, I could definitely, I could also box. I could also use my jab um, and counter punch. You know, there's, I got different looks to me, and I feel like that's one of my greatest assets in boxing is I'm able to adapt and I'm able to adjust to whatever um, opponent I have in front of me. So you're a student of the game. Who out there? Um not in weight or in your weight division who who do you see is also someone who is a similar style and if you could be dropped into the front row of any current fighter whose fight you go into 
Hmm. To any, any current fighter that's, um, I would say, uh, probably Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence, and um, probably um, Tyson Fury. It'd be nice if those two actually fought each other. You could kill yeah. two birds with one stone. <laughs> right? Yeah, two for one. <laughs> yeah. We were going to Tyson Fury is an interesting guy. How much do you feel? Because you're a fighter who people, I feel like, can underestimate, especially because, you know, you're fairly young. Um, I think your best fights are probably still ahead of you. Um, but do you feel like Tyson Fury is one of those fighters where people underestimate his boxing because he's this big personality? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, they underestimate his power that he has. You know, he's a uh, um, as a heavyweight. He's not the biggest puncher, but he could he can do damage, and that is a heavyweight division. So you know, one punch can change it you all. Know? And Tyson Fury has that ability. He has also the boxing ability, which makes for a great fighter. The cat is 270 pounds. I mean, you know, his average punch yeah. is gonna be heavier than <laughs> most people. Right. You, um, you've been around Floyd on the outside of the ring, uh, watching, uh, you've been around him in the gym, not so much as, uh, him working with you. What, what is it like? I asked Roly the same question because it's pretty crazy. Like, what is it like to have one of the greatest fighters of all time in there? Even if it's just for a few rounds, working with you, showing you things that he's done, kind of taking a shortcut from A to Z. I mean, did he, did it, is, is he able to to teach you anything that you haven't learned? I mean, I know you're a big student of the game, but is there is there one thing that you may have picked up on or that you learned from him that, that you can use in the future that might be helpful? It's definitely cool to have uh, Floyd in, in the in my corner. You know, he's uh, for this fight, he told me some things that uh, that were some key components to uh, to get the victory. And um, you know, it's something that we had already known, but since it's Floyd, you know. His, his word carries a lot of weight to it. So of course, you know, I'm gonna I'm listen a little bit more intensively um, to what he has to say. Yeah, he's a walking encyclopedia. There's not, you know, much about boxing that is going to be new to Floyd Mayweather for certain. Exactly, yeah. Floyd, um, his ring IQ is just something else and his work ethic is, is out of this world too. Angelo, you are always welcome here, my friend. I'm very proud of you. Uh, just not only because I, I saw I, I saw the 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 beginning of your career uh, with with Mayweather Promotions, but your story, man, to just show up here uh, or in Vegas rather here because I'm I'm in Vegas half my life anyway. But you, you show up to the Mayweather Gym looking for sparring. You know, you, you're like Adrian Broner. Anybody can get it. You walk in, you just start sparring everybody. You start whooping. You know, a few here and there. All of a sudden, they sign you. And now you have that strap on your shoulder. Like I can't even, you can't even really explain. Like if I wrote a script, a movie script about that, people would like kind of toss it out the can because it's, it's just really unbelievable. It's uh, it, it's it's unbelievable, man. And I, I'm really, really proud of what you've done. You are always welcome here on our show. CC, you can go ahead and leave the last remarks. But for me to you, brother, uh, congratulations again. And when I get to Vegas next week, I'm going to take a picture with your new girlfriend right there that's on your shoulder. All right. So I just actually want to close with this. Did you strategically pick the Mayweather gym to go into to look for sparring work? Uh, yes, I did. Yes, it was, it was me and my dad's plan. Uh, I, I, 
actually in Albuquerque, we planned it all, all out in Albuquerque when we were living there, that we were gonna move to Las Vegas in, in 2017, you know, you know, March 2017, we moved. And uh, basically that was the plan, you know, and we set out and uh, we followed that plan and look, look where we got us to now. Look so where it got you. The yeah. original plan, move to Las Vegas, get some, some work in in Mayweather, Jim, get signed, win the championship. What's the next goal? The next goal is to now defend the world champion and eventually um, win another world championship. And again and again, and, and sky's the limit, really, you know. Hey, good luck to you. Like Ralph said, uh, you're always welcome, but definitely come back um, after you get, win another world championship. We want to see how you're feeling after mm. that. Definitely got you guys. Hey, uh, and uh, so uh, lunch on you next week, man, when I get there. I actually got you. I actually got lunch for you. Definitely. You All right. Appreciate that. But, uh, yeah, man. I, I, you can't. It's hard not to. Bad. It's hard not to like them. Like even, mm -hmm. you know, in, in a world, uh, especially in this sport where you have to have sort of like an ego or, or a platform to make some noise, even if it's bad noise, you, you try to make some noise to get your name. Uh, made out there and we know it's all done some people do it on purpose some people that's just the way that they, they live and that's okay but this yep. kid i mean you don't even have a twitter right you don't his social media is just whatever um and, and yet you 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 see this and what's happening to him and you're just quiet and you're humbled and you know you, yeah. you, you he's so young but yet i'm 40 years old and he's one of my heroes because he sits there and doesn't mm -hmm. brag about nothing he just takes the opportunities that are given to him yeah, and he runs well, definitely. I mean, you can see the symmetry between him and his father. Um, he's kind of a mini me when, when you talk about his dad, his disposition is very similar. And so, you know, you see a lot of fighters who are trained by their dads and the dad is more like gregarious and ready to go than the actual fighter. But mm -hmm. this is a young man. I keep calling him a kid. He kinda, you know, I got some shoes older than yeah, him. I don't even think he shaves yet. That's how young he is. <laughs> For real. Um, but he has a very mature mindset in how he's going about his business. And so definitely wish him a lot of luck. And it's an interesting style to watch. You don't see a lot of young fighters who come in with that kind of a game plan. A lot of them are headhunting. They, you know, they are the Twitter and Instagram generation. And so they want that moment that That's they right. can capture and hashtag. And he is a different kind of fighter. So now it's good to see. Well, it's scary because as a fighter, even though he told he's like, okay, this guy was making noises when I was hitting with the body shots, like you don't know how much of an effect it really has yeah. until the latter rounds. And therefore, you could be giving away a few rounds and you never know what the judges are thinking. You know, and you're basically having to win every other round after that. But if anybody can do it, it's Angelo. He's done it with the Waters fight. He did it with this fight. And it, it's just phenomenal to, to watch somebody repeatedly hundreds of times throughout a 10 minute, three round span, going to the body over and over and over again. And then surprising you with the left hook. I mean, his left hook is one of the best in boxing. And I look forward to his fights. Uh, there's Ray Vargas out there. There's Carlos Castro from here, who's ranked number one in the WBC. Uh, he's been calling for Angelo. They've actually, uh, I, think they, 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 I think it'd be great. That'd be, be great only because their styles are pretty similar. Uh, they're both uh, like counter punching as far as yeah. you make a mistake, they're going to capitalize on it. 
And God, that'd be that'd be a great fight to, to to watch down the road. Well, and it also would be a unification fight, and so you like to see kind of one champion in the division. And so, if he were able to take the WBC belt, add it to the WBO, or vice versa, you know, whoever wins yeah. would be the unified champ. So, yeah. definitely it's, it's, want to see that. Yeah, it's crazy, and also too the WBO, which really hasn't been featured on Showtime at all. It's usually been an ESPN. Uh, top-ranked belt that they basically have uh, mm. have owned in that division and now jump ship and comes, and I hate to say it that way, but that's just the, the world that we're living in right now. Mm. Uh, it now belongs to the Mayweather PBC family, and, and uh, you know, who, who knows what the future holds for him. I just know that uh, with his attitude and his work ethic and that crazy style, that relentless body attack, I mean, it's going to be hard for anybody to beat him. Yeah, no, that would be uh... – I was just checking to see. Looks like we got our next guest coming in here. So uh, let's introduce him and bring him in. So coming in the, to anchor the show today is Emmy Award-winning sports announcer, Brian Custer, who you've seen a lot with Showtime, but he also does some NFL and some college can football, college basketball. Sure can. Can you hear us? I'm not, I'm not hearing anything. Can yes, you hear can hear all? you for certain. Let's do check one, two, three, four, five. How about that? Um, let us see. I'm not on mute. You can hear me. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not. I'm not hearing anything in through my um, my yes my, uh, pods here. I'm not hearing. Yeah, you're kind of nothing. frozen for us. Um, let us. Ralph, are you in front of your laptop? Can you just text him in the chat? I am. Come, tell him, come on back in. Okay. Perhaps that'll help. But uh, as I was saying, Brian Custer has uh, is an Emmy award-winning uh, sports broadcaster. He ha also, as of late, has been working with Ice Cube's Big Three. So he's uh, you there? Let me see. see. Hold on. Yeah. Let's get him. Yes, I'm gonna. Is, yeah. Since it is sports season, uh, Brian Custer would normally be extremely busy this time of year. But we got some here, I think. I think we got you. Yes. You got one earbud in. Yes. There we are. I can. Can you hear us? Okay. Yeah, we can hear you, but now I can't see you. Now I can see you. Let's see if we can hear you. There you go. Yes. Okay. Where you at, Brian? I know this room works for connectivity because I've been watching your podcast, uh, so I know. <laughs> I yes? think, I think it's, I think it's, be, maybe it's because we're having storms here, so I, I think that might be the problem. I mean, uh, if you want, I can try to. Uh, connect please do so that the connection is better but i know we, we've been in that east uh, storm has been coming in my way here in new york so it's uh really bad storms going on but i, I can try to maybe reconnect uh yeah go ahead and and, uh, and reconnect come back through this is yeah. the beauty of live podcasting it's just showing me there, Ralph. I can't see. Uh, I was trying to tell Brian to get to his uh, 
I'm trying to get him to get to his uh, his IG DM so I can DM you. I'm a, I'm a, I'm getting his DMs. Okay. Oh. Go ahead and log out, yeah, and then come on back in. Okay. Okay. And I'll re and I'll reconnect. Perfect. Okay. All right. Cool. Okay. We'll do. Gotta, All right, so I think we're getting better. I think he just needs to reconnect one more time. Yeah, got a slide in the deal. I'm excited to have him on. I, I, to be honest with you, I remember first seeing Brian in the BKB show a uh, while back, and I was like, man, this is going to change the world. This BKB is going to change mm -hmm. the world. And uh, I remember him uh, hosting the show, and I was like, who's this guy? I had never seen him before. Um, and I was like, man, this guy's well-spoken, and – you know, it just uh, polished already from the get-go. And, I mean, this guy is not only just doing boxing. He's everywhere right now. He's doing play-by-play -play for uh, college basketball, which he actually – we can talk about it right now when he gets on. Excuse me. He actually was uh, doing I, – I Seton Hall, I think it was one of the schools, where every time he announced the game, they would win. And they had, like, a, a crazy streak with him uh -huh. uh, uh, doing the play-by-play. -play. So – not only is he good there, I mean, he just does pretty much uh, everything else that you ask for him. So I'm, I'm glad that, we're, that he's here. And once we get this uh, little connectivity issue going, I'm pretty sure we'll be fine. I do want to talk about his podcast, too, because just like us, this guy's getting some great A, uh, yeah. some great a uh, clientele on there. Yeah, which, uh, I just watched this um, episode with Clarissa Shields. And, uh, I got to catch you know. it. Caress is always great for an interview, but it's nice to see a full hour I'm sitting down and because usually he just has a couple of minutes. You know, so for him yeah. to have that amount of time with an athlete to actually have that kind of conversation was really cool um, to see. But there's um, there was some news out of boxing today that Jorge Linares has tested positive and there's like some weird kind of like cryptic information saying that he was in uh, Oscar said he was in the hospital and I couldn't find out I asked Steve Cam and a couple other people was he admitted into the hospital or he was at the hospital getting his results so see here, here, to here's, that up. here's the crazy thing about all this stuff is that you know you right now what's happening is if, if these guys are in the hospital because I know it happened to a friend of mine out here in Arizona you could still have the COVID and be released and they just make you go in quarantine, right? So, right. you know, you know, I, I, as dangerous as that is, that's what's happening right now. So I, I don't know. I actually saw it earlier uh, as well, and I'm sure in the next day or so we'll 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 find that out. But I mean, it's happening all over sports right now. The Cub, uh, the Cardinals game got canceled today too because a couple of players uh, tested positive. I mean, it's just uh, unfortunately it's a world that we're living in right now, and I know that. Uh, Going back on the last fights, you know, Stephen Fulton, who has been training, uh, unfortunately that happened to him. But when they interviewed him, when Brian interviewed him, he seemed like he was actually uh, in good shape, not not too bad of symptoms. And looks like he's uh, he's going to be ready to go. Yeah, maybe it said that uh, Jorge had uh, was quarantined at the hospital, and that's what kind of raised some red flags for me because normally they've been sending people home. They haven't been having them actually quarantined in the hospital, especially for 10 days. So yes. I don't know where he's at. So uh, I'm going to actually – he just uh, – Brian, just for the sake of all of you guys are watching, we are working on this religiously. He just texted me right now. And he's gonna actually go from his computer. So we're gonna right. we're gonna send him the link via Gmail. 
and we'll do it that way. But I do want to talk about we didn't we didn't touch on this yet. Um, the the knockout in the Showtime fights. I wanted to talk to you about that and see if you actually saw that because that was probably one of the craziest knockouts that I've seen uh, in in boxing and. The kid basically, did you watch it? Did you watch the, the first? I the didn't. I didn't see that one, no. Oh, well, you got to go watch it. We can't talk I about was, that. You don't watch I it. was driving, the dude was, so. The dude, was, the, dude was completely, uh, the dude was completely knocked out. And actually, he was winning the fight. So I I, I just. Uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, he was they, they winning. They showed it everywhere. He was winning. Yes, he was winning the fight. he was winning. And, you know, anything can change. So, uh, you know, gotta, just got caught slipping. I do want to talk about them real quick while we're waiting for Brian uh, on my my new set. Uh, yeah, well, we have a couple it's minutes. Time to shine. Listen, listen, we've got this is I I found this. This is my Ryzen uh, staff little uh, thing. We went to Japan, yeah. and that part and the David Benavides. Speaking of which, we got really good fights while we're waiting for uh, Custer to come back. Uh, we got some good fights. Uh, this, this well, this this coming. I think it's is it tonight or tomorrow. Tonight, tomorrow, tomorrow. tomorrow um, there's a kid that we need to get on here that we need to talk to. Uh, his name was Jose Rayo Valenzuela, trained by the Benavides family. This kid is the goods. He's going to be fighting uh, tomorrow uh, on Fox. But there's a lot of good up and coming boxers that are going to be they're going to be showing on those Fox cards. And and honestly, the hell with the crowds. To be honest with you, like Angelo said, those guys spar with less people all the time and they get after it. I just think it's going to be awesome. I and, mean, and David, these undercard guys, it's nothing new to them to not have a crowd. This is, you know, the how their career has been. So this is going to be a little bit different for Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. But for most fighters, you're used to having fans either not there or filing in. And so that the big difference, though, really is how if you're hearing the opponent's corner and the commentators that's really the big difference for them well yeah and that, a lot of things uh, that, that networks are doing and maybe it could be because of the states as well jimmy lennon inside the ring uh chinook outside the ring uh and jeremiah gallegos on the zone outside the ring as well so i don't know if it's different states that are doing it or different commissions but you know mm -hmm. jimmy lennon he's he don't care he's gonna be right in the middle of things that's that's my dog right there he he's like i don't care about this code i'm gonna be right in the middle of the center that's where i belong well, so there's all kinds of stuff going on. I mean, like I, you know, to be honest with you, um, the breathing from Angelo was when I asked him earlier, and I forgot to mention this while we were talking to him. He literally said that he breathes like that all the time. Is that he said you could just hear it now because there's no commentary that was overlapping that breathing, and there was no music, there's no crowd. He said I breathe like that even after one round. He says, but you could, because I really thought he was getting, you know, he sounded like he was getting a little tired. Yeah. Um, but he said he wasn't, you know, that's, I mean, that's, I mean, if he was, he's not going to tell us. Right. Exactly. Hey, yeah. there we are. Yeah. Sounds good. Looks good. There you are. We're good. It, it always looks, when you, when you use the laptop and you can plug, put the, the Wi-Fi directly into the laptop, it always works yeah. better. Yeah. And, and you know, and that's my bad. I was going to tell you to, to try to go from a laptop anyway, and that's, this uh, stream link takes up a lot of bandwidth, and I—that was my bad. So I'll—I'll I'll, I'll get you lunch for that one. That was—that was my bad. 
Absolutely. Get that juice off of that Ethernet. Exactly. That's, that's the best. That's the best juice. So let's welcome him back. Emmy Award winning sports broadcaster, Brian Custer. You've seen him a lot on Showtime, but also Fox Sports uh, with college football, NFL, college basketball. And we saw you most recently with the big three. Out yeah. of all of them, out of all of them, which one is your favorite to sit down with? That's like to ask me. Uh, I have three boys. Which one's my favorite? And uh, <laughs> depend on which day you got a favorite. <laughs> you're right. Yeah, absolutely right. So you know, listen. I, it's it's funny because there's nothing like doing the NFL, um, college basketball. There's there's it's just the energy in those arenas, and then it's hard to explain to people when you're doing college football. You, you go to those stadiums, the tailgating, everything that comes with the the atmosphere of college football, the pageantry, I mean, it is unexplainable. I mean, so you love that. And then on the other hand, I tell people, you haven't lived until you go to a world championship fight in Vegas. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's so hard because all of them are so unique and all of them are so much fun. It's hard to pick one because when you're in that season, you're just in love. Uh, yeah. The beauty with boxing, it's all year round. Mm-hmm. It's all year round, but now we've had we're in a different type of boxing season. Of course, Showtime has kicked off its cards all the way through the end of December. Are there some of them that stick out for you as like as ones that you absolutely would tell fans do not miss? Yeah, I, I would I would say so. I mean, listen, I think next Saturday we got David Benavides. He's one of my favorite fighters, man. I mean, he's just he throws so many punches. He's so exciting. He's a guy who who wants to deliver for the fans. So I always love to watch and see David fight. Um, obviously, I've got uh, the pay-per-views uh, kind of circle because I want to see Jermell Charlo against Rosario. I want to see him in a unification fight. Um, you know, Charlo has always said that he's the best at 154. He gets his opportunity to prove it uh, that night. And I think the Javante Davis fight also. I mean, you know, Javante wants to be a pay-per-view attraction. Uh, he certainly has been able to sell out arenas. But, you know, Leo Santa Cruz is no walkover. And Leo Santa Cruz is adamant that his endurance and his punching power and uh, the way he his punching output will be the difference in this fight. And let's see if he pushes uh, Tank Davis. You know, everyone wants to see Tank in a step up fight. I think he finally gets one in Leo Santa Cruz. Yeah, I think both of those fighters have something to prove in that fight that also lends to a different level of excitement as well. Absolutely. I mean, because you could say the same with Leo. I mean, obviously, he's had the, the wars with uh, Abner Matas. Uh He's had great fights with Carl Frampton. But for years, everyone kept saying, well, we want to see Leo Santa Cruz in a big time fight. We want to see him against a, a big time competitor. Well, now he's got a, a kid who's going to be in front of him who's got some major punching power. But maybe his conditioning hasn't always been the best. Mm -hmm. And will that be the difference if this fight goes into the later rounds? Who's in the better shape? And we know that Tank has had some issues with making weight. But you know what? Look, he is training hard. Uh, I know he's been there in Vegas. I know Ralph knows that. He's been working with Floyd. Uh, he understands the magnitude of this fight. The 130 and 135 belts are on the line. So he, he is, uh, from my understanding and talking with his people, is focused and, and going to be in the best shape of his life. And I, I guess we'll find out in November. We will uh, see. I mentioned to Cece that I first saw you uh, during the BKB uh, era that was really short. 
the, the, the whole thing about the event, it was going to change combat sports. It's, it's like a circus. And then you come on there, man, and you're so polished. And it's like, man, it's like James Bond in there. Like, you just smooth with it. <laughs> and I'm like, who is this guy? Like, where does this guy come from, right? And then you just start, like, you just start growing like everybody else in this business. You try to just do your best. You know, you stay quiet, you stay humble, and you just work the ladder. What was what was the beginning stages for you when you decided, you know what? I love this. This is what I want to do. Because you know from my posts that are every 10 minutes sometimes, I'm a fan, man. I'm, I'm a fan. And I am so embraced in what I do, not just because of, hey, it, it's a paycheck. But, man, I really love this. And I think it shows. But for you, what was the, the deciding moment, even if it was in high school, young college, they said, you know what? This is what I want to do. I know I could be damn good at it. And that's where I'm going. Well, I, I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a secret. You know, a lot of people ask me about those days. And that's a great memory with you when we did when I did BKB, uh, big knockout boxing. And it was basically boxing right there in the little uh, <laughs> basically a, a circle there. Uh -huh. And people said, why did you do that? Well, first of all, I mean, it was AT&T and, and, yeah. and DirecTV that was funding it. Yo, they put us up at the Four Seasons. I think they, if I'm not mistaken, I give you, I, I can be honest about, it, they paid us about 30 grand each fight. I mean, it yeah. was, I, I knew there was no they way they were could making it rain. It. Yes, <laughs> I knew there was no way they could sustain that because they were paying us very well. So I was praying that if we could have like a couple years doing BKB because those checks were good. Uh, yeah, but for me, man, it was, uh, you know, a long time ago. Uh, to answer your question, a long time ago. A good friend of mine, a mentor of mine, gave me some great advice. And one of the things he said was, you should you should treat every event you do like a Super Bowl because you never know who's watching. Right. Treat every event like a Super Bowl, no matter how small it may look uh, to the outside. You broadcast that game like it's the Super Bowl because you never know uh, who's watching. And, and for me, from, from a boxing standpoint, you know, I started uh, here in New York. I was doing... Uh, calling uh, club fights for, and it's a show that still goes on called Broadway Boxing. And Lou DeBella, uh, who's a, a promoter here in New York, uh, he, it's his club show. And it's a show that he's been doing here in New York locally for well over a decade. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, look, I've called the fights for him. Uh, Steve Farhood's called fights for him. Uh, Gus Johnson. I mean, there's a number of guys who've done them here. And so I, I was I was calling those fights uh, on Broadway boxing one day and just out of the blue, uh, we did them on a network here called SNY out of the blue. One day I got a phone call and it was our boss at Showtime. And at the time he was living in Vegas. Uh, he lives here in New York now, but at the time he was living in Vegas and he said, look, I was in New York visiting my parents and I saw Broadway boxing on SNY. I think you're fabulous. I'd like to hire you and, uh, come to Showtime. And that's how I got my job. That's awesome. At Showtime. And that's how it can happen. So it all goes back to what someone told me when I first got into the business. And it, that was you treat every event you do like the Super Bowl because you never know who's watching. Yeah, that's great advice. And also when these days, now that we're in these COVID-19 kind of making adjustments days, what are some of the big adjustments that you've had to make without having, I mean, having the fans may not impact you as much, but what are some of the behind the scenes things that have impacted you being able to do your job as an announcer? Um, I, I think, you know, for, for us, it, it, it doesn't change. I mean, 
whether there's a crowd or not, I mean, you got to be prepared. Um, so you got to do your homework. Um, you got to make sure that you looked over all the material. And, and so all of the preparation that goes into the broadcast, for me, it, do, it really doesn't change whether or not there are fans or not. I, you know, I get excited uh, naturally when I'm, I'm at work anyway. So I think that that comes through uh, when I broadcast. I think for me, the biggest change was from March until I would say, what, where are we at now? August, that's four, four or five months. I mean, not working, not doing events. Mm-hmm. And uh, that for me, that was the biggest change. And it, and it allowed me to do get into a passion of mine. And that's talking and interviewing people. And so I started a podcast called The Last Stand Podcast. And that's really been the biggest change because you do so many of these events and you develop relationships with people, whether they be in sports or entertainment. And I've had so many really great conversations with guys and, and women. And I've said to myself, man, I wish I could let fans hear some of the conversations that we've had. And I just never had the opportunity uh, to do the podcast because every week I was on the road, literally every week I was on the road. And so when the pandemic hit, I mean, I was home and obviously I was home with the family, but it, it allowed me to say, you know what, this is a great opportunity to do this podcast and to really do it right. Because I not only wanted to deliver great content to people, but I also want people to get something from it. So if I'm talking to Errol Spence, who we've had on there, you know, we talk a lot about the car crash. We talk a lot about what was the biggest lesson he learned. And he, he talks about, hey, look, maybe when I was champion, when I wasn't uh, in training camp, maybe I was enjoying myself a little bit too much. And I think that kind of played out. And this was a, a warning call from up above to say, hey, you need to change your life around. Otherwise, it can be taken from you just like that. So those kind of life lessons, I hope that people get uh, from people. Rosie Perez is a great, the first lady of boxing. Yeah. She's great. I mean, I nearly cried talking to her when she talked about the mental, physical, sexual abuse that she suffered as mm-hmm. a youngster. Yeah. And all of that helped her to become stronger. And so I just hope that when people get it, that they not only enjoy the conversations, but they learn something from these people because a lot of these people had to go through a lot to either become a champion or to become a star. We're talking with sports broadcaster, Brian Custer. I did catch your interview with Clarissa Shields. And one of the things that I didn't know about Clarissa is she talked about how when she first started boxing and she was getting in into these gyms, she didn't talk a whole lot. She wasn't such a big talker and she had to learn how to do, she had a stuttering problem. And she had to learn how to overcome that, um, not just as a defense mechanism, but she realized this is the business of boxing. She was going to have to sell herself. What are some of the things that you wish that fans knew about putting on big boxing events that you that you have um, learned not just in your career, but now as you've had a chance to step back and um, have a different perspective? That's a no, great question. I, yeah, I, I you know listen, I, I think uh, I, I love I love being at the arena. I, I love the fights. I just hope that um, fans have a better appreciation for the fighters themselves, because a lot of these guys, and especially in boxing, some of the stories uh, of these fighters, and maybe you know, maybe we get jaded because of the the social media era that you know some of these fighters put on 
um, this lifestyle thing. But you know, there are it a lot cute. of good. Yes, there are a lot of good cute. fighters who. I think if I'm not mistaken, you guys spoke with Angela Leo. This was a guy who was sleeping in his car at one point, and now these young kids are world champion. Um, you know, we we had uh, uh, other guys who who were basically Train Williams, who basically was homeless at one point, was in jail, and now all of a sudden gets gets to fight for the world title because he he dedicated his life to the sport. I mean, some of these boxers have really inspiring, sometimes redemptive stories, and you get a great appreciation for them because, you know, I think we look at it and we say, man, we maybe we're just jaded because of social media and they'd see the bling and this and that, but that's a hard way to make a living. That is a hard, it's a hard way to make a living to get inside that ring and to take those kind of punches against some of the biggest punchers and gifted athletes in the world. So I just hope that, you know, fans have a better appreciation for these guys, especially in light of what we've all been going through, because we've all had to suffer here through this COVID and through this pandemic. But that's uh, to me, I think that's the biggest thing. And I truly love this sport because I love the guys. I love their backstories. And I just we try to bring that out whenever we do a broadcast. That's why we do so many features on the fighters, because we really want the fans to know them. And we want to grow the sport and grow grow the fighters and their their personalities. It's hard to I'm going to second on that too as well because it's hard not to get attached to these fighters. You know they always say, hey, you know you have to stay uh, down the middle and you can't favor anybody. But some of these guys, man, you see them go through tremendous hell. You know for the last three or four years of their life, and they again, you and I know because we get to see the back end of it. Right, at CCU as well. That yeah. some of these guys may be living fight to fight. You know, right. and, and again, right now, some of these guys, well, most of these guys, they're not fighting. So right. you feel for them. You you, you you take it personal when you show up there. You want to give them your best and, and make the world understand what kind of people they are. And you do your best at your job because, man, you, you understand what's going on with them. Right. And right. I want to touch on something with you uh, that not only uh, makes me proud to, to be a friend and to know you and to start you know, getting to know you more and more as we go along and we work together. But for me, what touched on me is uh, your health and, and what you've been battling. Uh, and, and I'm going to let you go ahead and just uh, and, and, and explain to the fans right now what you've been going through and how you've been fighting it. Because uh, it, I, me mentioning it would be a disservice because you, you've been through it. I'm so proud of you. And it makes me look up to you and inspire you more that way than even the broadcasting, because it truly it truly is a, a fight. Yeah, well, you know, thank you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm a cancer survivor. Proud to say it. Uh, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer uh, six years ago uh, in the prime of my life. I mean, I was just had just turned 42 and I've always been a guy who works out, you know, I box all the time. So I use that to stay in shape, uh, martial arts, all everything. But, you know, I even take my physical every year. So I've always been a healthy guy and, you know, got diagnosed with it. Uh, I couldn't believe it. Uh, doc told me that it was aggressive, uh, told me that if I didn't get surgery like right away within the next month, uh, and I told him I, I had never had surgery in my life, even from playing sports. I said, I've never had surgery. We can, can we go another route? And he said, absolutely. We can try whatever. He said, but yours is so aggressive that if those things don't work, you'll be dead within a year. And, you know, I was floored, man. And uh, it was it was hard for me. And, you know, whenever someone tells you a, that you have cancer. I, I can't even describe to you two what that's like and what that does to you. 
Um, your boys and, were young at the time, right? How the, old were your sons? Very, my boys at the time, I, my, my youngest uh, was four. Uh, the other ones were eight and nine uh, at the time. So, wow. you know, all I could think about was, you know, will I even see them get to high school? Will I even see them get married? Uh, will I even see grandchildren? I mean, I, that, that was all that was going through as tears is just rolling down my, my face in his office. And so, yeah, I did. I had surgery right away. I had, I, and like he said, I had surgery like three weeks later. Um, and, I, you know, I go to the doctor every three months to get blood work and all that type of stuff. And I thought I was doing real, really well, still working out, doing doing my thing. And, and I would go there every three months and everything looked good. But he always told me, yours was so aggressive. I need you to come every three months. Don't, he'd always, doctor would always, Dr. Samadhi would always tell me, don't you go ghost on me. Just because <laughs> the checkups are going well, don't go ghost on me because yeah. yours is so aggressive. And he was right. I want to say uh, it was about maybe three years or so after surgery, my numbers had just, you know, they had begun going up a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit. And he said, if we get to a certain point, we're going to have to try to do something else. And when we did, it got to that point. And so then it was like, yo, I think there's something else, you know, trying to come back and. So I had to take high grade radiation and it was tough because, you know, I was working and I didn't want to really say anything. The only people who really knew was my uh, Showtime family. So I would, you know, I would do I have to have to take uh, sessions, you know, 30 minute sessions every morning at like six in the morning. So I would go there, take those sessions, come back, you know, maybe take the boys to school, uh, do whatever, go broadcast a college basketball game the next morning, get up, go there and uh, do another thing. And then we'd have a Showtime fight and I'd get on a plane, go do the fight, be really, you know, tired, sick. Sometimes I'd have to throw up right before we did the show and come back home, go right back to my radiation sessions. So it was rough for for a little bit, but I I had, it took me about three months to get through all those bouts. Um, And, you know, since then, uh, my numbers have been great. Matter of fact, just last month was the first time my blood work came back zero. That was the first time since surgery that it came back zero. So, you know, hey, look, God's been with me. So Uh, we have a lot of men who watch. We're a combat sports podcast. Um, Can you explain kind of some of the things, signs that you might have missed that you want men to pay attention to? And then when you say your numbers were high, tell me exactly what those numbers are. Is that a PSA number? Yes, exactly. Exactly. So every three months, every three months I have to go and get my PSA, which is blood test. And obviously he does a digital rectal exam as well. And uh, I think it's very important because if you're a man of color, whether you're black or whether you're Hispanic, uh, prostate cancer is just raging in our community. And now it's raging uh, on younger men. You know, usually it used to be like your uncle or your grandfather who had it, but it's not an old man's disease anymore. You know, when I went in there, I was 42 to get surgery. There was a guy that was 35 that was having surgery. And wow. so now... I think if I'm not mistaken, it's like one out of every five uh, men of color will come down with prostate cancer. It's the second leading cause of death of cancer behind breast cancer. So that just shows you how prevalent it is. And there is they call it the silent killer for a reason. You never know you have prostate cancer until it's too late. And so that's why it's so important that you get checked. And they say they always say if you are a black male or a Latino male, 40 years old or older, you should have a PSA done every year. Uh, if you're a white male, you should start having your PSA done at 50. Um, 
And that and it's important because that's how I knew I had it was because I went to my regular checkup and he told me, you know what? Uh, you're 40 now. We need to do this. And then he was like, hey, look, I felt I felt a little bump on your prostate. Doesn't feel right. Come back again. And we came back in two weeks and the bump's still there. Only reason, only way we'll know if there's something if we do a biopsy. And I was like, a biopsy for what? Yeah, that's uncomfortable. At 42. At 40. At 40. And for, but the the whole a whole the whole thing of that was, I did it because I went to my annual physical, and had I not done that, I would have just dropped dead in a year's time. That's how aggressive mine was. Because the younger you are, the more aggressive the cancer is. Wow. The older you are, it lays dormant, and that's why if you have an uncle or a grandfather, they said, "Man, I have a grandfather who had prostate cancer. He was in his seventies." And they, the doctor didn't do anything because the older you are, it lays dormant. And, it just, and the doctor will tell you, you know what? It probably won't start rearing and raging until like 10 years from now. And so they'll just let them be at B. But when you're 40, yo, you better get it getting taken care of now because as soon as it leaves your prostate, it goes right to your to your spine and it's a wrap. And even the doctor mm -hmm. told me that. He said, he said, when I took all these tests, I took a bone scan, MRI. He said, I'm telling you that bone scan is the most important test you'll ever take in your life, Brian. He says, because if it ever comes back positive, the only thing I can do for you is to make you comfortable. Because mm -hmm. that means that the cancer has gone to your spine. And once it's up in your spine and gets into your bone, it's a wrap. You're done. Uh, CC, have you ever seen Brian, like his physical frame? This dude is like 1% yeah, like body fat. So yeah. I, I'm going to second that. And if it could happen to him, it could happen to damn near anybody at 40 because so he, he basically looks like a, a, a an athlete uh, that's barely coming into high school, getting signed to a college still, you know? And, and it's crazy that <laughs> no, I'm, I'm being serious, man. Like when I see you, I'm like, man, Brian's still in good shape. Like, you know, it makes everybody <laughs> envious. Cause like, you know, we're, we're trying to do our thing, but, but again, I, I, I appreciate you sharing that. I know that mm -hmm. you've been through hell and back. And yeah. that, again, Cece, that's what makes me really impressed, not only with him. He doesn't complain. He never, You never see him on his social media complaining about it. What he does is he educates. And if people are really paying attention, they can save their life. So I really yeah, appreciate absolutely. you sharing that. Yeah, so and that's actually, the most important thing. Could you actually point people in the right direction? So definitely getting health screenings. If you're not getting screenings, are there organizations out there, websites people can go to? And not just men, women who care for the men in their lives, whether they are your husbands, your brothers, or your child, where can you go for more information? Well, that, that's the most important thing. I mean, because the women play a great part because a lot of times it's the women who have to force their husbands to go to the doctor That's just right. to get checked because they won't go. We won't go. And uh, so you, there's, there's so many, you can go to the prostate cancer foundation. Um, you, there are so, or you know what, you can even just talk to your local doctor uh, about it. The, the most important thing is just getting checked and getting a PSA done. And it's simple. I mean, it just, it's a blood test. Boom. He takes your blood. He's going to, he's going to look at it. Listen, if your number is a four or above, you got problems. If it's under a four, okay, you don't want it to be in the, the real numbers. You want to have like a point zero something, a point one, a point three, point. Once you start getting a one, a two, especially a three, you know a four is like the danger zone. That's like mm -hmm. the red alarms. Something's going on in your uh -huh. prostate. So when you're in the real numbers, 
you need to have heed caution. If you're point, if you go again to PSA done and it's like a 0 0.3, 0 0.4, okay, you're great. You're doing really well right about now. So that's the most important thing, but you gotta go get checked. Is the Prostate Cancer Foundation. There's so many foundations. Just Google prostate and charities, and they'll have all kinds of information for you. The important thing though is to get checked because if you get checked, it can save your life. They call it the silent killer for a reason, because the only way you know you have prostate cancer is when it's too late. We know that you have a second degree black belt in Taekwondo. And oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, next time I go to Vegas, I know who to be. Make sure it's standing next to me in case some problems <laughs> get going He's on. Got, got some, uh, <laughs> Real hands. Uh, my son is actually, uh, he's been in Taekwondo since he was four. He's seven now. And so we are, so, uh, the little girl hasn't trained. However, she is more than willing to spar yeah. with her brother on multiple. In fact, they spar <laughs> right now. That's uh, but how much of your martial arts training is played into your professional career? A lot. I mean, you know, I've, I've been doing martial arts for well over a decade now. Um, and it, it, it's been one of the, the best things that ever happened to me. I'll tell you what, because you and as your, your children will learn, uh, it, it, it not only makes you a better human being because a lot of it is discipline. Uh, the other part of it is, especially if you're in a good school, is mental. And for for me in my school, which is great, you know, it took me uh, six, almost almost seven years just to get a black belt. And then by the rules, once you become a black belt, you can't test again for another two years because they want you to go through another two years of being a black belt and training and, and then stepping your training up even higher before you can test again. So it took me another uh, two to three years before I became a second degree. And now, you know, I, I can test again if I want to uh, go for my third degree. But for me, it gave me mental toughness and I needed that. Um, when I was diagnosed with cancer, because I'm not going to lie to you that I had a lot of down days, man, I showed on the camera, but man, when I wasn't on camera, when I was walking around here, I had to why me, I can't believe this is going on. And I, I just remember when I had just gotten home from surgery, uh, my martial arts instructor was one of the first people who came to my house to visit me. And I had tubes here, here. I had all the, the vial. I had all kinds of stuff coming out of me. And uh, he looked at me and said, look, I brought over and he brought these like two pound weights and he put them right there. I was sitting on the couch and he put them on the floor. So I just want you to sit on the couch. I want you to arm curl them. And then every now and then I want you to get up and do and do some squats with them. He said, you're a martial artist. You're the toughest guy that I ever know. You're one of the toughest people on this planet. You're tough mentally. You this disease will not beat you and you have to be strong. The most important thing is, when, especially when you're diagnosed with cancer, mentally, you got to be strong because if you this will take you down quicker than the actual disease, if you're not right mentally. And for me, that was the best thing that ever happened to me was my martial arts training, because I after a while, I had to almost smack myself and say, yes, you're right. I'm a martial artist, man. This, this disease ain't going to beat me. And really, that's what I would do every day, every other day. As I would sit there and I would do my little two pound arm curls, I would stand up on the couch and do little squats with those weights because, I, you know, obviously I had surgery all on my stomach and they had cut. But th that was some of the best things for me. And, and it helps me in my everyday life. It helps me be mentally tough. And so I, I espouse everything that martial arts gives you because I'm such a tougher 
human being mentally more than physically. I keep telling the little boy that it's not just about that 360 hook kick. Exactly. Um, <laughs> it's, it's about what happens yes. in your mind when you get knocked down. Yes. So it's all those decisions that have to be made. Are you so going to get back get up? Back up. Yep. And, Are you going and to then, and then how you prepare to fight once you yes. get back up. Yep. Absolutely. You, you can't just do that. So, you know, I've seen a, you, you do a lot of public speaking Hampton, you grad, uh, so proud, uh, by way of Ohio. But one of the quotes that I've noticed that you've said quite a bit is two of the most important days of your life are when you're born and the day that you find out why Yes. you got a big birthday coming up, not this year, yes. uh, but, but next year. Yeah. Um, and you've been through a lot. What is your why? Have you, have you figured that out yet? Uh, I, I think, uh, for me, it is really to help people, um, to help help uh, deliver my story and and really help people. You know, I don't think a lot of people I, I've, I've gone through a lot in my life. And I always said one one day uh, when I have time that I can really sit down, I, I think um, I'll write a book about it. But, you know, you know, my my mother and, and father, my father uh, died uh, three months before I was born. Uh, my mother and father were uh, in a in a car. We they were going to Alabama to visit uh, his grandparents for the first time, and my mother was at the time six months pregnant with me. And they were uh, an hour outside of Birmingham, Alabama. And unfortunately, he tried to drive the whole way from Ohio to Alabama. He fell asleep, and the car went all right off the interstate, flipped over, you know, three four times, and it, you know, my father ended up breaking his neck. My mother ended up surviving with me in her womb, uh, all, you know, cut up from glass and things of that nature. You know, I didn't even move in her stomach for a week. And they were scared to tell her that my father had actually died because they thought maybe she would lose me. And so for basically a week, as she was in the hospital, she had a broken leg, broken arm, all kinds of stuff. They didn't tell her that my father was dead because they wanted to you know, wanted to make sure that she kept me alive. And so, you know, having to go through that, I've had to come out, I've had to be a fighter, it seems like all my life. Right. And uh, so to obviously be born um, and and didn't have anything- Did she carry you to full term? Were you absolutely born early? Carried me to full term, um, to be born like that. Uh, and then, you know, obviously to be stricken down with, with cancer and to fight cancer. I've had, I've had a lot of challenges in my life. And so, uh, you know, I think that for me, it is to just tell people you, you can be resilient no matter what happens to you. You know, it's not really what happens to you is how you respond to it. And uh, so you're right. You know, I, I do think to me, the two most important days are when you're born and, and when you realize why you were born. I just believe that I was born to help people. And, you know, we were doing a fight the last time we had a fight uh, at the Barclays Center. And, uh, you know, usually after the fights and Ralph knows this, after the fights, people are hanging around because they want to, you know, meet you. They want to take pictures. And, you know, I've always been willing to do that with folks because I love that they support us. And this these couples, there was a couple and our security guy came up to me and said, Brian, this couple, man, said, you've got to take a picture with them. They've been waiting all show. I said, OK, fine. You know, walked over and the woman looked at me and said, you know, I heard about your story and she started crying. She said, and I told my husband, he's got to go to the doctor. He hasn't gone to the doctor in 15 years and found out that he had prostate cancer when he went to get his checkup. 
And she said, you know, if you if we hadn't heard about your story, he would have never gone and I would have never forced him to go. And he probably wouldn't be with me right now. But he went. She had surgery and he's a living testimony right now that you're right. Go get checked because it can save your life. Man, we all all three of us just sat there and boohooed after that fight. I mean, and, and to me, that's what it's all about. And and I'll be honest with you, when when I first got got diagnosed and I sat there and talked with Doc, the first thing Dr. Smotty told me was, I need you to go public and tell people about prostate cancer. And I was like, I'm telling nobody. Right, I don't right, right. nobody know that I got this. You know, because there's a lot of complications that come with prostate cancer. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm not trying to tell people that here I am a 42 year old guy and I may have erection problems and I may have incontinence and all that. I'm not. No way. We keeping this on the down low. Furthermore, I don't know if the networks will, will keep me hired if they find out that I have cancer and things of that nature. And he said, Brian, it is such a plague on the black community. Seeing somebody like you talk about it. Do you know how many people you can help? And I was not having it. And I went home that night and me and my wife talked about it. And she was like, you got to do it. You got to. You have to. Hmm. You know, you have to. This this is one of the reasons why God has put this on you to help other people. And I was like, all right, you're right. And so that was the only reason why. And I said, if I'm going to go public, I'm just I'm going to tell the truth. And I'm going to tell the good, the bad and the ugly that comes with this disease. And, and to me, it's worth it because if you can, like you get, you can save one life. It's all, it's all worth it. Well, we certainly appreciate you um, being candid and sharing your story, not just today, but how you've done it uh, throughout for the past almost seven years. And congratulations to you. Yeah, uh, you. You've got a great attitude about it. Uh, you've been, you've been not just in recovery, but you've been kicking its can down the street for so long. Yeah. That, um, it's a testament to your ability to meet the challenge, but your willingness to do the hard work absolutely. as well. Absolutely. And, you know, and it, it, listen, it, it doesn't go without challenges because even today I still go, I still have to go to the doctor. Now he gives me an extra month. So I go every four months, but you still, it's almost like you live your life. And he always tells me, forget about it, just enjoy life. But it's hard. And that's why I tell you, hey, look, I try to tell people the good, the bad, the ugly. I'm not perfect. So even though I still kind of live my life in four month intervals, because I know after like, you know, three months from now, I'm like, oh, shoot, that doctor's appointment's coming up. Boy, God, come, please, please let these numbers be low. Please, I don't want them to go up. You know what I mean? So I still have those internal issues as well. I may not show them on the outside, but yes, I still have the struggles. I'm human. I have those struggles in there. And he tells me, look, just live your life. It's hard, but it's hard when you know you still have that appointment coming and you have to go every four months because mine was so aggressive that it could, something could possibly come back. Um, but it's hard. It is. It is. It, it's, it's difficult. But hey, I'm here. And that's that's the blessing. I tell CC that uh, everything that you do outside of your life, the trials and tribulations that you accomplish, when that red light goes on, that's it's cake, Super baby. Bowl. That's it's cake. And that, 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 that's the prize, man, right? Yeah. Because you go through yeah. so many things. And, and again, that is not a private thing in your life. But we also, you know, you got your children that you're raising. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I like when you put them on and you guys are in the backyard and you're in the pool because, you know, I also have my children that I worry about. And, and of course, you know, with this sport, how the networks, uh, you, you just, you know, you never know when you're going to get that call and somebody else say, hey, 
Well, by the way, we're going to let this guy go. Yes. But, you know, you, you never know, right? You, yeah. you never know. And that's why it's important that we do everything. So for us, Hi, Jeremy. Um, Jeremy, what's up, Jeremy? Um, for, 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 for us in the, in the business, all the stuff that you've accomplished, man, um, I just want to ask you this one thing. And I, it's, I ask everybody that's in the industry, what is the, 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 the best day that you've had in this industry? It could have been a damn little league game or one of the small Broadway boxes that you did. What was the, the one day that you, for, for me, it was the Benavides Gavril fight. Cause that was the first time that David fought for a WBC title. The first time Ronald fought for a WBC title. And the first time I announced a WBC title. So even the Mayweather McGregor, even the tension fight, none of that compared to my first, right? It's like your first. So for you, what was that day, man? And it could, and, and and again, sport aside, just the one day where you're like, man, this is dope. This is this is why I'm here. Uh, you know that that's funny. That's that's a great question. I think I'll give you two real quick. Um, right. The first one was a couple years ago. We were doing a, a Dolphins. I want to say a Miami Dolphins Chicago Bears game, and we were doing it in Miami. And it was one of those games where. Uh, we were doing it on Fox, and I think we were in at the time. In the, I, I want to say maybe twenty percent of the homes, uh, so it wasn't a high end game. Right. And it it was a game that went into overtime because uh, one of the Chicago Bears running backs fumbled at the goal line. He was going in to win it. Fumbled I at that goal line. Yes, they they he had the, the goal line. line. And 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 Kenyon Drake fumbles as well. And I think. Yeah, he, He's an Arizona Cardinal now. Yeah, so yes. I remember that game. Yes, yes. I remember that. And, and matter of fact, I think I think he fumbled, and it just came out. I was like, oh, my God, he got to be in his feelings at this point, you know. And every, everybody was like, oh, my God, this guy doesn't. And so then all of a sudden, because the game kept going back and forth, Fox took us nationally. And so we were in 90% of the homes in the, across the country. So we went from 20% to all about 90% because the game had so Dang. many turns in it. And it was just like, when we got finished, I think my phone had 50 something messages from people just oh. like, my God, I watched you. You were hilarious. You were this, you were that. And I think the same thing happened when, when we did Mayweather McGregor too, because you know, you had the UFC people watching from, you know, regular boxing people and, you know, people who I went to, grade school with, you know, it was like you, you when you're trending on Facebook, then now obviously yeah. just something's going on. Yeah. And, and it was crazy, I, had, man. I had, look, I had a bad suit on too that day. So I was, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to second this story, right? Because I always, I always tell people when you're around people on your team, it yeah. helps you, your comfort level to raise up and your nerves aren't so bad. Cause anybody that doesn't get a little bit of nerve, you're in the wrong business. You, you, exactly. you smile at yourself. Yeah. Get your yeah. ass out of here. But yeah. so I, so two uh, two hours before the weigh-in show, uh, Kenny Craig from Mayweather Promotion says, "Hey, guess what? Uh, you're gonna host the weigh-in show with the guy from BET and Cardi B." I said, "Who's who's doing the show?" He's like, "You are." I said, "I am." They're like, "Yeah, we got two hours to fill. Uh, the Showtime guy's gonna be up on top. You you got the arena. You got you got to go do it." I'm sitting there, I'm looking right. at Cardi B, and I'm like, whoa. But but hearing you guys and, and just being around, you know, my colleagues, it, it does something to you, man. And it just yeah. takes you from here to the stratosphere. And that's why I always, when I when I get a chance to be around you guys 
and, and to, 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 to be able to bring you in and tell your story, it not only just helps me, it helps that 14 year old that's watching this that wants to be the next Brian Custer or the next yeah. Ramblin' Ralph or the next, you know, Buffer or Lennon, whatever they want to be. It just helps them to say, you know what, man, if Brian can do it, and Ralph comes from South Phoenix where he's supposed to be a statistic, and all of a sudden he's doing these things, man, it, it's just, it's a blessing. So we really appreciate your stories, man. And again, you're welcome. And I hope you that podcast. I hope you get that Joe Rogan money, baby. I really hope hey, you Joe Rogan tell people They got to go to YouTube or Spotify, iTunes. It's the Last Stand Podcast with Brian Custer. Make sure you download it. And I will tell you this. Tuesday, we're dropping an episode. I did interview both the Charlos together. Sweet. Oh, yeah. It is probably, I'm not, no hyperbole. <laughs> probably the most explosive interview that I've ever done with fighters. Because nice. you know how excited they are, right? Yeah, and, and they stay big mad too, so it's always yo. They got so hyped that, and this is no, I'm not trying to just sell it for people to watch to watch this episode. I really thought they were gonna go at each other. I mean, like they some of some of the you're gonna watch some of it. Be like, oh, that's uncomfortable. Ooh, I'm gonna watch it. And yeah, watch a lot it. of it has to do with the reason why Jamel left Ronnie Shields and went with Derek James. There's still some hard feelings there about that. I think, uh, you know, maybe the way they're promote. I don't know if they like being promoted as the Charlo twins uh, together anymore, that maybe they kind of want to break off into their own. But it is, it's going to be a really, oh, yeah. I think people are going to really think that one is really interesting. So we got him. We did Keith Thurman just yesterday. He talked a lot of stuff uh, for another <laughs> Bud Crawford and Errol Spence are going to be like, okay, Keith, nice coming from you because of some of the stuff he says in that episode. But the one thing about Keith Thurman, he talked about his injuries, something that he's never done before and admits, you know what? I've lost fans because I'm often injured and I need to change that. Um, so it's really good. But it, they, you will trust me. You will be like, wow. When you see the, oh, the I'm drama. Watching. I can't wait I'm to watching. see that. I can't wait. Well, thank you again for joining us. Come on back. Yeah, we got everybody. Yeah, man, this is, this is great. Yes, exactly. I'm going straight laptop <laughs> next time. Straight <laughs> with the phone no more. None of that. I'm going straight yeah, that's my bad. Right up into the laptop. That's my so, bad. And, and, and real quick, uh, before you let us go, CC, uh, when he had a tournament in Vegas, and I, I promised him that Roadkill Barbecue that's out there under the overpass by the Artisan, and yeah. he was staying at the Artisan, yes. and I saw because he took a picture of Floyd's place across the street. So I told him, I said, hey, I said, you got to be careful. That Artisan is haunted, man. You got to be careful. <laughs> it, it's, it's, you know what? I love that place, to be honest with you. I, whenever I get a chance to stay there, I do. But, but the place I'm ready to leave, bro. We, we were in that bubble. <laughs> we couldn't leave. And I look out, I look, CC, I look out the window. And all of a sudden, I see Floyd's strip club. I was like, well, it can't be that bad. The strip club is right there. Girl collection right there. Like, yeah. so yeah. going to be but, but the pandemic was closed. So, you yeah. know, I was like, oh, well. I got oh, nothing. So. I do owe you that barbecue, though, on the record. That's on that's the bucket list for sure. And we'll, we won't do yeah. that. CC, hey. thank you for everything. Thank hey, you. Ralph, I want I want you to keep up with those workouts, bro. I'm there. I'm trying, yeah. man. I'm trying. You know, I had a, I'm in the gym tomorrow, six in the morning. Keep I'll up be with there. Workouts, I'll be there. I'm, I'm going to do a buddy check. Yeah. We're going to buddy check in the morning. Exactly. Please do. Right, Somebody baby. do a buddy check with me because, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Butter, piccata, Butter piccata ice cream at 9 o'clock ain't probably the best thing to do. I love it. <laughs> I love it. You tell your son, keep practicing. Tell him I said Taekwondo. 
Awesome. All right. Take care, Thank Brian. Thank you, Brian. We appreciate it, man. All right. Hey, what a show we've had man, today. I, I could talk to him for hours, man. We yeah. actually almost did. Like, we he's, he's amazing. Did. He's amazing. Well, and I, I, I wanted to get that story out because I know how uh, personal it is for him. And to be honest with you, you know, when I first started doing a Showtime broadcast, I always wanted to introduce myself and talk to him. But, you know, he's such a lovable human being that it was just there were just so many people around him. And I never got a chance to personally thank him for what he does because people they don't realize, you know, when you're a good person on camera and you, the aura comes out just like you. Uh, when I started doing the show with you, I, I knew that it was a place to be because you're such a wonderful human being. And just like that, I kind of have a sixth sense of being around people. Ryan's a great human being. And then when I found out the story of what he was going through. I mean, to be able to throw up and then an hour later, that red light comes on and you just shaking it off. That's inspiring. So that he inspired yeah. me to get my ass back in the gym every day. And we trying to do it. We trying to we're trying to get it. Hey, man, keep at it. Um, this has been Levels brought to you by Vegas Sports Daily. I am your girl, Cassandra Cousineau, otherwise known as the Sports Nista. This is Ralph Velez. Uh, you know him as Ramblin' Ralph, the announcer for Mayweather Promotions. Thank you to our guest, world champion Angela Leo, and Emmy Award-winning sports broadcaster Brian Custer. Y'all be safe out there. Take care of each other. And men, get your prostate checks. Women who love men, who are in their family, who are their partners, their sons, their friends, get them to get their, pros their prostates, prostates checked as well. Happy Friday. Have a great weekend, you guys.